0: Hello, and welcome to another Mystery Monday. My name is Max Sterling, and I'm here with my co-host, Aria.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Well, hello there. Thank you for being here with me today. As a reminder, and if you're first listening, we produce two episodes every week. On Monday, we like to cover a few lesser-known cases. Cases that might not get a lot of attention in hopes of generating some type of discussion and lead to help bring justice to the victims. Then on Wednesday, we cover cases with a little bit more notoriety and a lot more information. Please take a moment to like this episode and rate our show to help us reach more listeners. You can also check us out online. You can find us on Instagram at Mysteries and Mimosas Podcast, Facebook, YouTube, and we're now on TikTok. And don't forget to visit our website at www.mysteriesandmimosas.net, where you can submit episode suggestions, mimosa recipes, or just simply drop us a line to say hi. All right, well, I'm excited to kick off this week's Mystery Monday, and to start, as usual, I'm going to let you go first.
1: Thank you, Max. So today you're I... You're welcome. Oh, sorry.
0: That's okay. <laughs> okay. I just, I'm a little slow, but you're welcome. <laughs> I was re, it was really important for me not to be rude. Yes, so, no, I ahead.
1: appreciate that. Today I'm going to bring you the case of Keshawn Bryant Vanderhorst. Kayshawn Vanderhorst was born on July 17, 1993, to Tina Vanderhorst. Tina was in jail at the time of Kayshawn's birth, and he was immediately taken from her and placed in the care of the Department of Human Services.
0: So early on, DHS is already involved.
1: Yeah, right away because she was in jail at the time he was born. Right. Mm-hmm. And
0: so that's, yeah, that's, that's really sad. I mean, It
1: is. It's not the best way to start out life.
0: No, not at all.
1: In November of 1994, Tina was released from custody, and Keshawn was placed back in her care. In January of 1995, a DHS caseworker was assigned to make regular visits to Tina's home to provide counseling and help Tina care for Keshawn. During this time, the DHS caseworker noted Tina was a devoted mother to Keshawn, and there were no indications of any drug use. Due to this, after six months, DHS requested the case to be closed, In August of 1995, the case was closed, and Kayshawn would go missing one month later.
0: Wow, so it didn't take long at all for Sean to go missing. And obviously, you know, DHS didn't have any issue with it. They thought she was doing a good enough job.
1: Enough so that that they requested the case be closed, which it ultimately was.
0: Right, and I just want to mention DHS workers, they have a terrible, terrible time with their job. I mean... They're very good at their job, but, you know, as we all know, they are pretty much overworked all the time. They have a ton of cases. They have timelines they have to meet, and so I think they get a bad rap for the job that they do, and in some instances, they do make failures, but more often than not, in my experience, they get it right.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you hear the high-profile cases where DHS is involved and, you know, kids go missing or are killed or abused. And you're right, they have way too many cases for one caseworker to adequately be involved the way that they should.
0: Well, of course you're going to hear about the high-profile cases when things go wrong. You never hear about the success stories that they do.
1: Right, unfortunately that's, you know, that's how media works and ratings and all of those things. So Sean was last seen at his residence in the 1400 block of North 17th Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on September 25th of 1995. Tina told her family and the police that Kayshawn had been taken back into the custody of DHS. However, Tina's family became suspicious and decided to make an official report to the Philadelphia Police Department that Kayshawn was missing. When police searched Tina's apartment, they described it as rat-infested, filthy, and cluttered.
0: I'm just going to say this definitely took a turn for the worse in a very, very short amount of time because I can't imagine that a caseworker would close this out if it's rat-infested and and really, really messy. Right. Yeah. So that most likely this just escalated extremely fast.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's possible that in that month's time, Tina, knowing that DHS was not going to be paying her any more visits, they weren't going to be coming regularly, kind of let things go. Yeah, you just stopped caring. Yeah, that's a very real possibility. Tina repeated her story that Kayshawn was in the custody of DHS, But DHS reported they had no child by that name in their care. During their investigation, police discovered that, due to Tina's history of substance abuse, her boyfriend had even threatened to take Kayshawn from her.
0: Not even the person with legal right. Right. Just some responsible person who's like, okay, you're not doing a good enough job. These kids are in danger. Exactly. this kid.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's why where it comes into play, it's like DHS is seeing that she's perfectly fine And they want to close the case. But her boyfriend is saying, hey, you need to get your act together or I'm going to take this kid because he's not in a good environment. So I don't it's really hard to say. Well, what was happening?
0: Not really. I think that I mean, depending on who's looking at you. Right. I mean, think about it from a very simple perspective. Your employer's opinion of you and the way you act around your employer and the person who is judging you and evaluating you is going to be completely different than the, your peers.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: M- maybe not, you know, to that degree, but you you know, your peers are the people who know what kind of worker you really are. Yeah. You can fake it for your employer, just like you can fake it for DHS and the people closest to you really know who you are and what you represent.
1: That's a good point. So, once it was discovered that Tina's story about Kayshawn being in the custody of DHS was false, Tina changed her story. Of course she did. Tina told police she had actually sold Kayshawn to an African-American female named Virginia Graham for $500. She did this, she said, because she could no longer care for Kayshawn.
0: Okay. Well, if that's true, obviously if she's selling a child... It's for nefarious reasons, of course. I mean, of course, which would indicate that this child is being sold into, uh, you know, some sort of human trafficking, which is not unheard of even with young boys.
1: Yeah, no. it's, it's Unfortunately, not,
0: it's... It's not specific to no. females.
1: Nope, not at all. Tina said Virginia gave her $500 in 20s, which she then used to purchase crack cocaine. Virginia is described as being approximately 35 to 40 years old at the time, which was in 1995. 5 feet 4 inches tall, around 140 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes.
0: You know, I think that there is one bit of truth to that story. I don't think that she sold Kayshawn. I don't think that this person is real. But what I do think happened is she was buying crack cocaine. That's the one truthful thing in her story. Right, because there's and
1: always a little bit of truth in exactly, a lie, Exactly. Right? Yeah.
0: Exactly. And there's, you know, it's easy for her to try to sell that story by you know, admitting some kind of Mm fault, which is the crack cocaine use.
1: Right. Tina further described this Virginia person as having pierced ears and being well-dressed. Tina said Virginia was driving a light blue four-door sedan that had the letters AL in the license plate. Virginia told Tina she was married with two children and lived in Philadelphia. Virginia, if she ever existed, has never been identified.
0: Uh, Of course, that doesn't surprise me.
1: Tina would later change her story yet again. Tina told investigators that while she was under the influence of drugs, she took Kayshawn to her friend's fruit stand on Cecil B. Moore Avenue, left him there, and that was the last time she saw Kayshawn. Okay, so and, how? go ahead. And she has no memory of what happened to him after that.
0: Okay, so how, my question is how many times has she changed her story now?
1: Uh, well, she did the initial story where that he was in custody of DHS. Then she now says that she sold him for $500 to purchase crack cocaine. Now she's saying she took him to her friend's fruit stand and has no memory of what happened after that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that's so three she's just stories. Lying.
1: Tina did have a friend who owned a fruit stand at this location, which she would often leave Kayshawn at, but she always returned to pick him up eventually. Neighbors said during the time prior to his disappearance, Kayshawn appeared to be well cared for. They said he wore clean clothing and did not appear to be hungry or abused. Tina was eventually charged with child endangerment in 1996 and pleaded no contest to those charges. Tina was given a a two-and-a-half to seven-year prison sentence. At her sentencing, Tina said she did not sell Kayshawn, but gave him away to a woman who came to her door. Tina said she was under the influence of both drugs and alcohol and thought the woman was a DHS caseworker. Oddly enough, to add to this story, during this investigation, it was discovered Tina had given birth to seven children by 1995, Kayshawn being the youngest. Four of those children died in the 1980s. Eight-month-old Terrence Slaughter died in 1980, followed by three-month-old Katrina Stevens in 1983 and then 10-month-old Kenneth Stevens in 1985. Those deaths were all attributed to SIDS and pneumonia. Tina had another daughter, Marie, who was born premature and addicted to crack cocaine in 1988. Marie died at four weeks old, weighing only one pound. Marie died before ever leaving the hospital. Tina had two other sons born in 1986 and 1987. These boys never lived with Tina and were being raised by their paternal grandmother at the time of Kayshawn's disappearance. It's reported that Tina did visit uh, with these boys regularly. After Kayshawn's disappearance, investigation into the deaths of Tina's other children were reopened, but no arrests have ever been made.
0: Okay, I mean, seven kids, two survive, one's missing, and three are dead. Four are dead. Four
1: died. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Sorry. You know I'm not great at math. <laughs> but I mean, you know, at some point, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. I don't have any use for people like this.
1: I mean, Because literally...
0: I understand people have mental health issues that they can't control. I understand people have addiction issues that they can't overcome. I understand all that, and it's, it's really, really sad when th- this happens because I never want any of my loved ones to struggle with any of that. And I always try to treat people with that understanding that this could be anybody because at some point, you always say it, this mom was somebody's baby at some point in time, mm-hmm. and at some point in her life, it just went south and kind of seems like super fast. But what I do have an issue with is you keep having children. Mm-hmm. You keep having children. And so at some point you need, even though you're addicted, you need to grow up and figure out what do you want to do? Do you want to be addicted to drugs? Fine. Stop having kids. Don't bring these people, you know, these children into this world addicted to your problem.
1: Right. And I mean, I've just, it's amazing to me that she's never been charged in any of these. Like, okay, the, the three infants, the, the three first infants that died, it was ruled pneumonia or sids things out of her control but the one who died because she was born addicted to crack cocaine there should have been some kind of a criminal charge related to that i would think
0: yeah i don't know what the laws are in that state but typically when you have a baby addicted to drugs because the mother used when she was pregnant you can charge them with child abuse because you know that that child is a victim of its mother's circumstance
1: right Regardless, it's a very, very sad set of circumstances for all of these children.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, for her included and her family included, I'm sure that her loved ones don't like to see, you know, the road that she chose. Of course.
1: In October of 2016, Tina was arrested for stabbing a Germantown man 77 times and setting his body on fire. Tina was acquitted of those charges, though, during her trial in September of 2017.
0: I'd like to know a lot more about that. Yeah,
1: I didn't go into researching that. That's interesting, though, right? And she was acquitted, so I don't know, like, again, I don't know the circumstances of why she was acquitted, but
0: I mean, she was. Yeah, if she's acquitted, she's, you know, we can't assume that she's guilty, obviously, right. but 77 times, my goodness.
1: Yeah. Kayshawn has never been found. If you have any information about the whereabouts of Kayshawn Vanderhorst, please call the Philadelphia Police Department at 215-686-3335.
0: Hold on to that um, phone number, because I'm going to ask you for it at the end of this episode, and I'm not bailing you out this time. So keep it it handy. I got it. All right. At approximately 3 p.m. on August 15th of 2016, Landscapers in unincorporated Wheaton, Illinois, found a black backpack along a private drive. When the backpack was opened, the body of a newborn female was discovered. The infant was wrapped in a brown toilet seat cover and a bathroom rug. There was also a red towel inside the backpack. The infant had been given the name Baby Hope, but her true identity has never been discovered. The DuPage County Sheriff's Office is leading this investigation into Baby Hope's identity, her cause of death, and the hopeful arrest and conviction of those responsible. The official cause of death at this time is listed as undetermined, but it has been reported baby Hope had been dead for approximately 24 hours when she was found. Investigators discovered a medication called Lamotrigine or Lamectal, which is commonly used in seizure and sleep disorders in Hope's blood. The levels indicate a standard prescribed dosage, and it's believed Hope's mother was ingesting this medication during her pregnancy. Isn't that kind of cool how they can kind of determine that based on the dosage? Yeah, you know, they just they know that obviously this baby wasn't taking this seizure medication because of the dosage amount in her blood.
1: Right. It, or it wasn't like the mother was abusing this medication. It was the same level you would find in a newborn whose mom had been taking this medication throughout her pregnancy.
0: Yeah, kind of like the, you know, drug-addicted children that we were just talking about. Yeah. So authorities were able to develop a female DNA profile for baby Hope's mother. This DNA profile was sent to a private genetics lab in Virginia, which uses phenotype testing to gather information on the possible ethnicity, eye, hair color, skin color, things like that. Through this profile, investigators believe Hope's parents are of Latino or Hispanic ancestry. So we've uploaded a sketch of what investigators believe to be Hope's parents or what they may look like on our website. They're believed to have been between the ages of 15 to 25 at the time of baby Hope's discovery. The statute of limitations on a case like this in Illinois is three years. In 2019, as the three-year mark approached, the DuPage County State's Attorney brought an indictment against the unknown female DNA profile for the charge of failure to report the death or disappearance of a child. class 4 felony.
1: Wow. I wonder how many times that's ever been done before. I've never heard of that.
0: I think it's super clever. It is. Whoever
1: thought of that was thinking outside the box for sure.
0: I've never heard of it, but it makes sense because usually when you bring charges against somebody, you're bringing charges against a person who's been identified. Right. Well, technically, this person has been identified because they know who it is. They just don't know this person's name.
1: Yeah, which is kind of crazy to wrap your mind around. Like, They brought charges against a DNA profile because it is somebody like they know who it is, but they just don't know who the DNA like the name of the person that the DNA belongs to. Right. That's insane to me, but so clever because now that they did that, that statute of limitations doesn't apply. They filed those that indictment in time.
0: Yeah. Think of it like this. They've identified the person. They just don't know what that person's mom named them when they were born. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is. That's crazy. That's pretty cool. I like it.
1: I do too. That's great thinking, whoever did that.
0: Yeah, it is great thinking because most investigators, me included, um, I would be more focused on, I got to find out who this DNA profile belongs to, and so I'm going to be working and rushing against the clock to try to identify this person.
1: Exactly. When
0: in all actuality, this person's already been identified. Yeah. It's cool.
1: Yeah, it is. Kudos to those people who put in the time and the effort into this case to ensure that someday Baby Hope will have justice.
0: Oh, I think so. And my guess is if this has already been uh, identified as a DNA profile, they're going to they're gonna use genetic genealogy to, mm-hmm. to track this person down or yeah. these people. It's
1: just a matter of time, really.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. Hopefully we can have an update because I'd like to know the rest of the story on this one. Me too. Investigation of the backpack and contents found pollen, which indicated the items spent a significant amount of time in an urban area of northern Illinois and may have originated in southwestern United States before coming to Illinois. That's crazy. I find it fascinating how they would know that. I
1: know. Like, people are, I mean, obviously, thank goodness, people are out there so much smarter than me. Like, who, just based on pollen that's found on this backpack, they're like... Not only is this pollen in the state of Illinois, but it's in northern Illinois. And not only that, it's in an urban area of northern Illinois. Like, are you kidding me? Who who comes up with that? That's amazing. I don't
0: know. I can just tell you that when I receive lab results from scientists on DNA, it's not my job to understand how they came up with it. Mm-hmm. It's just my job to report it. Right. right. And those smart people, those are the people that can come and testify about it and you know, describe to juries and judges and everything how they came to that conclusion. We just take their word for it, Mm -hmm. which really, you know, I don't want to get too far off of it, but I've noticed in my, in my career, and there's a really good Netflix documentary about Maya, nationwide law enforcement puts an enormous emphasis on medical examinations because they're the experts and a lot of arrest decisions are made solely on medical examiners, uh, you know, findings. So I just, you know, it's just, I, I, I say that because I think it's important to mention that, you know, law enforcement detectives, everybody just puts a whole lot of faith in other people's work.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, again, not to get too far off topic, but we just, as, as humans put a lot of faith in other people. Like we go to the dentist and the doctor and. We put all the faith that they know exactly what they're doing because we don't, but we're just like, well, you went to school for it. You have the degree. I really hope you know what you're talking about. But yeah, this to me is, I would love to hear all of the information that went into this case as far as how they figured out like this pollen, you know, was in this area. So this bag spent not only some time, but a significant amount of time there and it could have possibly originated in the southwestern United States before it came here. Like, I just would like to talk to that person because that's fascinating to me. That's, that's pretty cool.
0: Well, and hopefully the person that was, you know, doing testing on this pollen didn't have allergies. I'm just <laughs> yes. saying.
1: Wow. That, thanks, <laughs> thanks for that dad yeah, joke in there. Yeah, you're welcome. Wow.
0: Okay, please believe whoever dumped the backpack was familiar with the area because it was a rural area and it wasn't very well lit. This area may have made it easier for the individuals to go undetected. Baby Hope was buried on September 22nd, 2016 at St. Michael's Cemetery in Wheaton, surrounded by the investigating officers and strangers. A tree was planted and a plaque was placed in Baby Hope's memory at a local Wheaton park.
1: Yeah, that's a sad case. Um, The DNA indicates that the Parents were probably between the age of 15 and 25. No idea how they know that. Again, scientists way smarter than I am. But assume that these are like teenagers, and they're terrified, and they're scared, and they don't know what to do. So we don't know if the baby was alive when it was born or not, but they take it, and they dump it off of a roadway because they're scared.
0: We I assume think- that it's because they're scared.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying in this scenario, say that they are young, they are teenagers. That's what I'm saying. But I think, you know, overall in recent years, I mean, this was in 2016, but there's been a movement and progress in making everyone aware that if you are in that situation or whatever situation it is, you can take a baby and drop them off at a hospital, any police department, fire station, and there won't be any questions asked. They'll take that baby and they'll find it a good home. So it's really sad that in this case, you know, the, the people were so scared that they didn't know they didn't know what to do. And so this sure. was the result of that. So it's really sad.
0: I'll be interested to see when this thing plays out, whether or not the dad even knew that this girl was pregnant.
1: Yeah. I mean, because especially if it is the case of a teenage pregnancy, a lot of times that happens in the... The girl hides it from everyone, including the dad. So it's very possible that he didn't know. It seems, and of course, this is my assumption from the contents that were in the backpack—being a a bath mat, a bathroom towel, and a toilet seat cover—that more than likely this woman gave birth at home in her bathroom on those i or with those items, which is why they're included with the backpack to get rid of all of those things with the baby. So, I mean. Again, I'm assuming, but it just sounds like one of those cases where, yeah, this was a really young mom who was really scared, gave birth by herself, potentially at home in her bathroom, put everything in a backpack, and went and dumped it on the side of the road.
0: No, that's, that's more than an assumption. I think that that's a really good conclusion. Um, most investigators, whenever they find, you know, stuff like that, that's what you call a clue, right? It's an, it's an anomaly, It's not, you know, you don't typically find bodies, even infants, dumped with those bathroom items. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a really good conclusion to make. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. This one's going to get resolved. I think whoever's, if you're listening to this and you're responsible, I think it's only a matter of time until police catch you. That's what I have to say to the person who did this.
1: I agree. I, I hope, I hope that it's solved. That baby deserves justice.
0: So be sure to visit net for images of the items recovered from the backpack and Baby Hope's memorial plaque. If you have any information related to the identity of Baby Hope's parents, please contact the DuPage County Sheriff's Office at 630-682-7256. And if you have any information about Kayshawn,
1: you can contact the Philadelphia Police Department at 215 686 three, 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 five. I'm so proud of you.
0: Yeah. You were prepared. You were prepared this time. I
1: mean, I've been like anticipating that this whole time. This, yeah, I've had Cause this you knew I was going right to call here. you out. You did. Yep. You would. You did. You do. I knew you would. That's what I mean.
0: Just trying to keep you on point. So that wraps it up for this week's mystery Monday. Again, please go and follow us on social media. We're trying to grow our online presence as much as possible so that we can continue to bring you these episodes every single week. Do you have anything to say? I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll lead it off. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Oh, That's that a- was, that was your, cl- that was your clue to, oh for me to God, say cheers. you're fired. <laughs> I never know. I never know when you're, when you're done. Like, do you have more to say? I don't know.
0: There's two ways that you'll know when I'm done. Okay. Number one, I'll get up and walk out. Okay, well that didn't happen. Number two, I'll say done, son. Oh,
1: Okay. Well, you didn't do either of those things, so how was I supposed to know?
0: Well, the, the, the third is, Cheers. Cheers.